You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings and felicitations. Alan Seiler. How's it going? Veronica Daschle. Hi. And we're joined by a very special guest today, Andrea Kindred. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Ooh, yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Now you... Uh, I mean, you've got so much history that I want to talk about. I mean, you you worked at Desilu in the 60s with Gene Kuhn and all the others that we're familiar with from who working on Star Trek. Uh, you knew Malcolm X. You knew Martin Luther King. Um, I mean, the list just goes on. Um, so I, I, I sort of wanted to start with sort of how you got into Hollywood and then how that sort of led you to Desilu. Okay. Um I'd been in New York for a while. I, I sort of ran away to New York and I was depressed because Martin was now out of jail and we weren't making it above the fold in the papers anymore. Malcolm was going overseas. He'd be, Elijah Muhammad had kicked him out of the nation of Islam. It, I felt like civil rights wasn't moving. So I depressed. I dragged myself back home to California where I got very much involved in Augustus Owsley Stanley's acid. Mm. <laughs> and love-ins and be-ins right. and I was at one and all of a sudden I got news of Watts had exploded and I knew it was more than time we had just, Prop 14 had just passed which had gotten rid we had gotten rid of housing covenants mm. and now they voted them back in again and we were pissed off the police were like an invading army. Uh, the the Parker, the police chief, militarized the police. He stopped having uh, off black and white officers serve together and segregated them and separated them. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And it exploded. So I got back there as fast as I could. And as a result of what's I got an invitation to Desilu for a job interview because they realized that there were no black jobs happening around there. Desilu was mostly the janitor, the cooks, mm. the wow. cleaners, yeah. the actors who played the janitors, the cooks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And so they, they hired two of us, you know, because like with any zoo or, or, or new place, you, you want to hire a couple so they can have company for each other. So we went to work at Desilu. And my short, my short skirts got me the job on Star Trek. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Ian loved women's legs. He thought the thigh, the upper part of the thigh, was the sexiest thing on earth. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how I got to Desi Lou. Okay. Yeah. Gene Kuhn is a sort of a legendary figure to us, but he's he's a man who I mean, he 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 passed away, sadly, before Star Trek came sort of came back and had conventions and things like that. So we never yeah. really got to hear his story at conventions. We never really got to hear his autobiography like so many other people on Star Trek. But you you worked right there with him. You knew him very well. I did. And that's one of the reasons why I had to write the story. And when I started, I was just going to write about Gene. And I kept creeping in. Mm. <laughs> and so that's why there are this one. if. If you guys don't want to know the rest of it, 
you can just have this and that's most of the Star Trek. But this one has not only everything that's in that one, but a heck of a lot more. Mm. So Gene's dad was a Klansman. Okay. My ancestors were slaves. Right. <laughs> what better fit is that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I did not know that about Gene Kuhn until I read that, um, where you had written. That was a shock to me. Did you read what I'd written? Yeah, um, what the what you provided for uh, Charles and us to read, and I read that yeah, about when you, yeah, and it said, "Oh yes," and it said Gene Kuhn was the son of a Klansman. I did not know that, and I grew up in Texas in the late '60s and early '70s, so I I had a friend whose grandfather was a Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan in Texas. Wow, <laughs> and that makes some some interesting conversations. Let's just say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my ancestors were slaves in Texas. Mm-hmm. My okay. family established the, the one of the early Texas freedom colonies mm-hmm. called Shankleville. It's still there. They do mm-hmm. the Purple Hall P Festival every year, and people I... come from all over Texas to Shankleville. Mm. And that's where I come from. Gene's father was in the Midwest, and they mm-hmm. had a different focus. They were anti-Catholic. They were they they, uh, they weren't so worried about black people because there weren't very many around. Right. Wow. <laughs> so they went after the Catholics mm-hmm. and, and, and saw them as the disturbing factor. And so that's where they were. Wow. So, wow. And uh Roddenberry's dad was a bigot. Yeah. I wow. mean, it's definitely documented in other people's books. Absolutely. So that, yeah. So they were rebellious sons. Mm. They were rebelling <laughs> against all of that. That's why we all came together so well. We had one of the most diverse shows on television, both mm-hmm. on screen and off screen. Absolutely, to this day. That's yeah. So that's how I came to be there. Wow. Um, and now, once you were there, I mean, you had the opportunity to work with you know Dorothy Fontana, um, Harlan Ellison, Theodore Sturgeon. <laughs> I mean, the list just goes on and on. I couldn't stop listening to your reading your book because it was I mean, it was just story after story about these folks who, I mean, were, you know, names in a book and names on the credit screen to me for so long and people I've seen on the screen and just some fascinating things about them. Well, people like 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 um, the forest research, Joan Pierce. Now, that's a woman you guys would love to have had. She was so she knew everything. She was our head reader. And, and, and I get really pissed off when I read other people's, you know, the guy's books and they say, uh, his assistant, Joan mm. Pierce. Assistant, <laughs> my ass. <laughs> <laughs> if Helen hadn't had Joan, he wouldn't have had a business. Yes. What, still mind trap. Oh, God, that woman's brilliant. And Peter um, Sloman, he also was there in Star Trek. He came in at 17. Oh, wow. Wow, amazing! And he was tipping around because it's one of the first things he had to do was tell Gene Kuhn that he'd stolen the story for his uh, for Arena. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it was an accident. It, I don't. It, it, it wasn't intended. Mm. It's just that you are who all the experiences that you've had and what you've read. And he wrote Arena, not realizing how closely it was to another science fiction story mm, right which also twilight zone did the same thing mm-hmm. with the same story and that's your gorns in <laughs> right. arena 
Yeah. Mm. When Peter found it out, he had to. He, he wanted to tell him. He told me, I said, well, tell him. And he said, I can't, I can't. So he went to Kellum and said, Kellum, will you call Gene? Because Gene looked formidable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was an ex-Marine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He looked, he looked tough and grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't who he was. Oh. And so his also his family grew up in you know on Indian near Indian nation land where yes. they had been away. So he had all that in him. Mm. And Roddenberry had all that in him. And those guys let it all out on Star Trek. <laughs> it's a question I think Sir Anthony, you're saying with you coming from the black experience and the daughter of slaves, and you had these the men and women who were children of clansmen and bigots and so <laughs> forth but was there was there an undercurrent of anger in the writing or was it just an undercurrent of agreement we just need to do better because you know sometimes people will come from a place of anger but i don't really feel they, anger no, in they star trek ang- they weren't angry they weren't i don't i don't believe they were angry mm-hmm. i believe that they came from a place of in a sense privilege and mm-hmm. they were able to ex- to express these things without fear mm. And as far as their limited ability to do that, you know, they, right. it could have been further. It could have been more, but sure. they were still human beings. Absolutely. I can say they were perfectly human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so what you have is people who, as you said, with Gene, or Gene and Gene, the genes, they acknowledge the, the reality of harshness. Yeah, they <laughs> they acknowledge the realities and harshness of the world, but they didn't want to write with anger. They wanted to write with kind of love and hope and say, this is how bad it is and was, but it can be better. Um, yeah. And that's a good place to write from and create from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And you refer to Gene Roddenberry as the bird often throughout <laughs> the book. Great bird of the galaxy. He's <laughs> saying Gene Roddenberry, Gene Kunji, Roddenberry, right. Gene Kunji. Yeah. Well, was that common um, at Desi Lu in the 60s? Did people call him that? Or was that... Uh... No, I, I can't remember that it was common. Bob Justman started it. Oh. Bob started a lot of stuff like that. His memos were usually the funniest of yes. all the memos. I've read a lot of Bob Justman memos. and They're legendary even to this day uh. Uh, for his, his witty memos. Yes. Was he was he funny in real life, Bob Justman? Yeah, he was. And I still was I was pretty cranky with him when I read his book mm. because it pissed me off really so much that he would put that crap on me. Right. And 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 write about something that somebody else had written about in a flattering way. And to me, it felt demeaning. Mm. And I know he wasn't deliberate with that. But again, it was just that lack of his language when he talked about we could have bought her for less. You know, I mean, come on, you're talking about negotiating contract with a shell and you're saying we could have bought her for less. It sounds like you're buying bodies at the market. Right. Yeah. You know, so little things like that. But it was the time, guys. It Mm. was what how we thought then. I probably thought. Well, I questioned myself all the way through the book. Who taught me that? Mm. <laughs> I that. Who did I see doing that? Who was I imitating here? Because Malcolm, mm. uh, when Kuring and I first met Malcolm, um, in fact, I heard from Kuringa last week. He says he's very thrilled that I mentioned him in my book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Any, anyhow, um, uh, when, when we met him, he was giving a talk 
at a church, not the first time we met, but when we after we met and we went to this talk at a church, and it was who taught you to hate yourself? And mm. it was directed at black people. Who taught you to hate your, your nose? Who taught you to hate your lips, the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate yourself? And so that resonated with me. That was 1962, probably. Okay. And it's still bouncing in my head. Mm. Wow. wow. That's a pretty heavy question because that's a that's a that's a thing that like you don't realize that that's something you're actually taught. Mm. Yes. And we do it unconsciously. And if Absolutely. we look at when I talk about the Shatner, my daughter, my daughter Paula, if, if you're in Vegas, you'll meet Paula. Because uh, she grew up on the set. Mm. And she when she came running to read that program, she came running into my office having having been in Bill's office and she's she's crying hysterically. <laughs> and and, and I, I don't know what's happening, but it's my kid. I'm like, what's it? What is it? What, my, my, mommy, mommy, Bill, Bill. And I think, oh fuck, he's dead. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> and she's just <laughs> I thought, oh, she got into this dressing room. He didn't have his hairpiece on. And I thought jokes, people who wore hairpieces were jokes, and we should laugh at them. Fat mm. people, jokes, laugh at them. Gay people, well, you always knew them because their wrist was going to be limp. All these ridiculous ideas that I carried around. Mm. And on Star Trek, we were challenging them. The ridiculousness yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Were there any stories that were told through um, through Star Trek while you were there that had, that stuck out with you that that you know really stood oh, up? A couple. <laughs> it was maybe maybe uh, let this be your last battlefield, which mm. was pretty blatant, obvious. But some people need blatant and yeah. obvious. Right, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And I look now and I think, are we moving there? Because mm. they destroyed that whole planet. Are we moving there in America? Mm-hmm. Right. That, that yeah. scares the heck out of me. Yeah. Um, um, the, 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 I love my, my, my big rock, um, Devil in the Dark. Mm. Mm. Uh, what is it? Um, colonization and and... I still, I think Captain Cook came here and took the land and had the nerve to say it was uninhabited. Yes, there were no people there. What about all those black people all over the whole country? (laughs) There were no people here. Right. Okay, so uh, (laughs) that, and then again, um, they they turned the the, the Horta into the, I don't know how to say it. Um, It's sort of like the, that that shiny Negro who you saw in Green Mile and all those the the, the ma- magical what can, can the, you help me here the magical Negro the magical Negro yes you know what I got to tell you this is so funny when we talked about the Devil of Dark I think I said this here I always <laughs> said what 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 was ironic at the end is they said that the Horta and their, her children who could barrel through rock were beneficial to the humans because they exposed all those expensive minerals. And they kind of mm-hmm. said they benefited each other. And I'm like, but the humans aren't benefiting uh-huh. the Horta. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Just, just yeah. go and away. I, <laughs> and, and the Horta was so generous. It's dying and it tells them where to find the pump. All that. <laughs> I'm sacrificing all the yeah. Good boy. 
<laughs> Even as a kid, I thought that. Like they were like, it's beneficial to both. It's not beneficial it's to the whole. <laughs> no. 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 Okay. So I had to say these things. I mean, I tried not to to write about sorry, but it the intersectionality, my being a black woman at the age I was, at the time I was, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the and, and what the atmosphere was like in the world, it it, it was not the same view that anybody else that I knew that wrote about it had. So I had right. to all of it. And tell me what you think about the book, guys. Come on, I'm insecure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved it. I mean, I thought it was it was just full of, I mean, every turn, it's it's a, a fascinating story about someone either on Star Trek or someone who was in that area at that time, you know, not even necessarily involved with Star Trek, but people from, you know, the civil rights movement, people from other ends of Hollywood. Um, I mean, you were sort of right there, ground center and, you know, Hollywood and LA, you know, in the 1960s, which is a period that I find incredibly fascinating anyway. Um, yeah. But with a lot, like, like you say, a very different perspective than what we usually hear. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you think of it, Keith? I loved it too. And it was funny just before we started rec- uh, recording, I was, I was really fascinated by your family history, you know, going, going way back to the slavery and so forth. And I love the anecdote about the, the incident with the men that were, I think they said they were, they were there to honestly either rape or of a slaughter or slaughter or sex. I think it was said and how your ancestor came out with a shotgun and basically took care of business. And we were laughing because then the next line was, and that was the first person in our family to migrate to California. <laughs> you laugh because that's, that's, I try to, to, to make sure that I can find some humor in, in many in things. Where you have I, to. And so, so first of all, my, 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 my grandson said, Grandma, who are, I'm a father now. Uh, who are our people? I want to know about our people so I can tell my kids. So mm-hmm. I had to dig out the slave love story yeah. and tell them about the background. And in, in the full book, I talk about the next two generations as well. But for th- this one, I made it briefer and and then my other uh, another grandson said uh, grandma how did who introduce you to martin luther king and malcolm x mm-hmm. and so I, I had to tell that story and then my my granddaughter said grandma i've been watching star trek i never saw you on it what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> so i i started putting that together and i just was not able to write mm-hmm. uh, i I'm, I'm a big mouth i'd like to talk <laughs> I, I run my mouth and I do all the things my mother said. She said, shut up and sit down. Well, I don't. I'd like to do the opposite. <laughs> I made it into a solo show mm. and I would go on stage and I would tell from Sir to Star Trek all the stories. <laughs> and I ended up at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And then somebody there saw me and said, oh, you're going to come to Edinburgh. And I said, uh-uh, I heard about people going to Edinburgh. They come back home with big credit card bills and no money. <laughs> I'm not going. Anyhow, he kept up and finally convinced me to go. And I did go and I did come home with money. <laughs> uh, so the, it was it was just this this shutdown where I had couldn't go anywhere mm-hmm. for two years. Mm-hmm. And if they told me it was going to take this long to write it, I probably wouldn't have started. Mm. <laughs> wow. And I'm right. so glad you guys like it. Thank you so much. Well, and I and I love the story of it, it's funny, you know, in a time we joke sometimes we're everybody's on social media and people don't want to get face to face. And you have people sometimes who won't you know, go across the block to meet somebody. And the story of a man who traveled across the country 
and risk being captured and killed and put himself back into slavery to find his wife and children. That's that's a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a story. A lot. I can't imagine putting myself back into slavery, willingly going back into slavery. But he had to he had to find his wife and his children and they, they made it work and they survived. And that's, yeah, that's they weren't amazing. Even, they weren't even his children. Because right. in those days, the slave owners, check the names of those kids. That's the right. That's owners, right. They, mm. they manufactured their new stock themselves. Yeah. That's right. right. You're right. Because you actually said in the book, I take that back. You actually said in the book, the effect of what they visited the, their people. They visited them. And due to the skin color, you're right. That was it was pretty well understood. Those were the slave master's children. Mm. Yeah. But that was just such an amazing story. Thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been um, so, I, I'm just so thrilled that that's in my family and that we've had that story. Um, mm-hmm. What's his name? Um, the, the big tall guy on morning television in America, um, former football player. Um, oh, uh, Michael Strahan? Yeah. So he's one as well. He's a Shankleville uh, a, a person as well. Really? Oh. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. So when they did, who do you think you are? Whatever they call it in America, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they traced his ancestry back to Winnie in, in Shankleville. So Jim Shankle isn't wasn't wasn't my ancestor. Mm-hmm. Winnie Shankle was, and Jim Shankle and Winnie Shankle were are his ancestors. Mm. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But they had several more children together, and that's why when they established Shankleville. Mm-hmm. They had a whole bunch of people ready. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, uh, a question I have for you. You were, you were talking about, I thought you said something very interesting about how they would call the people who work behind the scenes as tra- at track assistance. And sometimes that word, that word doesn't you know, do justice to the, what the people did. I forget the name, but there's a politician's wife who wrote a book a few years ago. And the title of the book is, And His Lovely Wife. Because she said every yeah, everywhere they went, they would just say, "Here's here's talking from so and so and his lovely wife." Right. Yeah, she had no personality. So, yeah. We, you know, so when you were saying it, it made me think that y'all have kind of a a bond with all the people who were the assistants and the behind the scenes producers, the people whose names weren't up front all the time. That you guys kind of talk and and, and bond together because of that. That's, I'm wondering. We did have connections. I'm, I hung out with the, the forest research people. I like mm-hmm. smart people. Mm-hmm. I, I hung out mostly with them. Um, we we were all no. I, I I don't know if there was a bond, but Charlie Washburn on mm-hmm. the set, Star Trek Charlie or, or Charlie Star Trek, is because he had the phone Charlie Star Trek. And so he, <laughs> uh, he got on with everybody and mm-hmm. Lind and, and the, the crew worked well together. It was like we had a higher calling in a sense. Right. Um, and, and there was that. But there were also, and I mentioned this, the Hollywood, divi- the Malibu divide. Because mm-hmm. at certain levels on, on, the, on the set were people who would have been in the hills and on the set, there were also people who would have been on the beach. The social liberals were on the beach. The 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 very redneck folks were in the hills. Um, that's how it was. I, I when I lived in Malibu, my daughter never got called that name so many times. When we lived in, in Beverly Hills or or, mm-hmm. or in, in um, Nichols Canyon, mm-hmm. but 
on the bus going to school in, in, in Malibu, she got colded. Mm. Uh, so Michelle felt it more than I did because I didn't go on. The, I went on the set. I went specifically to George, Michelle, where I was next door at Mission hanging out with, with Greg and, and those mm-hmm. guys. But there, there was that divide there. Okay. But it wasn't overt. And everybody, I think, joined together to do the best job they could for the show. Absolutely. Jerry Finnerman, some of the stuff he did with his lighting, oh, my. It wasn't until I went to film school and had to study uh, camera mm-hmm. movement and mm-hmm. lighting that right. I could appreciate to the depth that I do now what he did there. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's, no, there's, there's no show that looks like Star Trek. Right. That's yeah. true. A lot of it is that lighting, and there, mm. it's so distinct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and watching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, I, I love that he and Bob would get together and talk because the unions were not going to let him join the union. Hmm. The proper unions, they, they were they were part of that divide. They were feeling threatened that their unions were under assault by these people who wanted to get in. And they had had it their way for so long. Right. That participated. Hmm. And that's how you got into all of those unions. So right. I love, I love every time Walter would come in, I would love to see what he had this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one thing when, when you're saying that um, with yourself and all the others, I think, and I think everybody here would agree, is Star Trek is probably one of the first shows where I knew about more than just the creator. As, look, listen, listen to the names mm-hmm. we've put out. Gene yeah. Roddenberry, Gene Kuhn, Jerry Finnerman, uh, Justman, uh, what's his name? Um, Jeffries, Matt Jeffries, but right. the Jeffries, oh, Matt Jeffries, yeah, yeah. And it's it's probably one of the few shows, especially back then, where you knew the names of the creator, the producer, the associate producer. Heck, I even won a trivia thing one time because I knew that at the end it was Glenn Glenn Sound. <laughs> and we just go deep, and and you mentioned Jerry Finman. I know Charles too can say. There's a episode Metamorphosis, the one that deals with Zephyr and Cochran. Oh, yes, yes. And that is often held up as the most beautiful Star Trek episode because of how Jerry Finneman shot it. Yeah. And yeah. I think, Charles, is your, is it, I don't know if it's your favorite episode, but it's a, what's your favorite looking episode? Yeah, yeah I don't right? know if it's my absolute favorite, but I, I, I champion that episode because it's not mm-hmm. one that people think of as one of the best episodes, but it's yeah. so incredible to look at, especially now that they've remastered it. I'm just always in awe about that episode. So I'm always I'm always cheerleading it. Um, and think about how little money we had. Right. And how many yeah. effects we pulled up with that little <laughs> tiny yeah. budget. I feel like a lot of the time, though, the tiny budget shows, they, they have to be more creative. So they come up with more creative stuff because they have to. And then those types of things tend to stand the test of time. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that part about Peter Sloman, he's agonizing. What is it, Ed? Peter, what is it? Oh, I'm trying to get the grammar. The grammar, the grammar, it's just it's wrong. Peter, nobody speaks Vulcan. They won't know the difference. <laughs> but little did you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he looked at me with that look, which is, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it all I got. Mm. I don't care if people know or not, because I'm going to know. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that was that was what was special. Wow. Yeah. That's so great. And uh, over the course of your career, you were the assistant uh to both Martin Luther King Jr. and Gene Kuhn. And so I'm I'm wondering 
you know, as you go through life, I mean, we all have bosses that you work for, some good, some bad. They have their good and bad points. I mean, how how would would you compare those guys as as bosses? I mean, how 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 were they as as people to work with? <laughs> oh no. I'm <laughs> <laughs> saying that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> they were a lot alike in, in, in many ways. I, I, my experience with Martin was short. I was only his PA, just temporarily. So, I mean, don't don't give me any longevity credit there because I didn't have any. I, I was lucky to be with him for the time I was. Right. Uh, man could tell jokes. Wow. Anyhow, um, <laughs> with, with Gene Kuhn and, and, and Martin Luther King, they both had a, a, a person in common that they respected, admired, and followed. Mm. And it was the same person. Um, what's his name? Guys, tell me what his name was again. Um, Serenity Prayer, um, uh, Niebuhr, um, Reinhold Niebuhr. Is that it? Yeah. He's a <laughs> philosopher, um, a, a minister. He taught at Union, uh, uh, Union Theological College. And he was someone that both of those men uh, esteemed hmm. and that they shared the same kind of, of, of thinking and feeling. Right. Were they, were they nice? They both oh. teased me a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a sign of affection. So yeah, unfortunately. And, and more than that, I remember when I came off my motorcycle and I came limping into the office sort of blood running down my leg and holding Gosh. my arm because I banged my arm and I was wearing my motorcycle jacket that I'd gotten from um, um, the, I'd run out of words sometimes, the the, the star of, of the show we were working on in, in, at Universal. And it was a, a, a racing jacket, Goodyear jacket, because he'd gotten it with Paul Newman in this film. He'd been on with him. And so... That was fine, but I was bloody all over, and I I sort of got there, and and I stood in his office, and he looked up at me, and he said, "You know, Andy, you do anything for an excuse when you're late." <laughs> <laughs> and he paid all my doctor bills. Oh wow! Wow! Because I I had no health insurance. Right. Oh. Yeah. I I heard that that's not unfamiliar in America. Mm. Right. Mm. Unfortunately. Yeah. Over here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when you first got there, did you did you and Gene get on well when you first started? Did it take you a while to get, get into the flow and, and meld and mesh with everyone there? Because it sounds like well, such an see, interesting I didn't time. go right away. I didn't go right away. I was the floater secretary when I started. So I okay. would go work on all the series, all around the lot, every department, everywhere, casting, art whatever wow um and so i had gone in to work with him a few times before mm -hmm. i before i uh, ended up working with him so we'd already started feeling each other out mm. and and um so by the time he said i really like your mini skirts i love your legs why don't you come work for me and i thought <laughs> do i really want to work for a middle-aged white dude cocoon <laughs> wow <laughs> wow and the answer was it pays more money okay <laughs> Pretty much. Right. no but we, we we got on fine um 
as we spent time together, we got to know each other better and better. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and when he left the show, he let me know that he didn't want to go without me. Mm. That oh. he wanted to come and work with him wherever he was going to be. Wow. Oh. So um, I said, okay. And, and then I stayed with John Meredith Lucas. Uh, but when Fred came in, I thought, nah, let mm. Fred get his own person because I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be gone. So yeah. I, I kept Wow, because okay. that was the change. There was uh, there was a change in producers. That was the change, and there had been the change in the ownership. Desilu no longer really what officially owned. That's it. right. So it went to Gulf and Western, Paramount. Things changed. Yeah, it wasn't the same atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That changed. You know, it had been for sort of family like with Lucy there, mm, right. but once it became them, it, it became very formal. So I knew they, you know, I I didn't really want to stay there. So you saw the writing. I wanted to be with Gene. I was having fun with him. Yeah. And I, could, you know, I was learning and I was hopeful mm-hmm. that I one day, by that time, mm-hmm. I was saying, maybe, possibly, I, maybe, like, I might be able to be a producer one day. Mm-hmm. See, there were no role models. There were no people I could see that had that path. And right. women didn't have it. Blacks didn't have it. Asians didn't. We didn't have it. People of color didn't have it. And women, we didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know we talk about um, when the series, um, Susan Oliver was, um, became a director, which was something back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. she, was a, she was a pilot as well. And that was just so mm-hmm. rare to see people like that at that time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I do have another question. And this is one of those cliche questions that you always ask people and the answer <laughs> can't possibly be yes. But when you all were working on it, when you're working in Star Trek, obviously, I think you knew you were doing something important. But did you honestly... Did anybody really have a, an inkling that it was going to become what it has become over the decades? I don't see how you could have, actually. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, I think I commented about that. I said, and did they, did we spend evenings sipping a game of the civil bits and me with a tab cola? Those are nasty drinks. God, they were awful. <laughs> <laughs> I remember tab. <laughs> uh, talking about what we would be doing on our 50th anniversary. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We were just there at that moment doing the best we could with what we mm-hmm. were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that well, was it. You all did a great job because we we <laughs> we grew up loving the show. I mean, we're still talking about it to this yeah. day. Um, I, yeah. And I remember uh, Stephen Whitfield's The Making of Star Trek was the first making of a TV show book I ever read when I was probably 11 yeah. years old. And that was the point that, you know, my Star Trek heroes weren't just Kirk and Spock and Uhura. It was. Um, you know, Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn and Dorothy mm. Fontana and, you know, just seeing them, seeing the show in a different way, you know, and thinking about it in yeah. a different way. That was really formative for me in the way I look at television. You know, when, when you're almost a small yeah. child, I didn't yeah. think of it as something that people made. I just, it was just TV. It was just on. It's yeah. just the stories. But, you know, having to sit down and think about the decisions that were made and people who were working to to bring this show to life. And, you know, it's it's exciting that I mean, I'm the, to talk to you because you were there and, you know, thank you for all the work that you did on it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about the book and I'm just curious. Uh, I, I know that um, this is something you had been planning to do and then COVID comes along and it gives you the opportunity to stop all the other things and you get to focus on it. What was your process like uh, as far as like collecting all of these memories and all of these stories and put, putting them down? What was uh, how did you kind of approach organizing your thoughts about this whole thing? 
Um, I was very, very fortunate that I have a very, very supportive partner. And I met him when I was doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this, my daughter committed suicide. Oh. And so I became mm-hmm. a stand-up comic, as you do. Um, it was either that or kill myself. So right. I wow. was laughter because I heard that laughter is healing. And, and mm. I wasn't that great a stand-up comic, but I was adequate. And I met this guy. And um, he's a bit young, so I, I didn't pay much attention. But uh, <laughs> so now, 15 years later, um, we're still hanging out together. And he wow. was the one who said, you got, I'd be telling stories like this, like we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And he said, you got good stories. You know, tell us, tell the one about, tell the one about. And pretty soon, <laughs> the kid's asking me about family. Uh, civil rights and star trek it came together and mm. so mm. i i started talking it and sitting on stage i just sit on stage and with a glass of water and wander around and talk <laughs> and <laughs> tell stories so that's that was the process it came from that and, and having had that i just made it bigger and took it further because there is that part of me wanting now to become a producer but there's so many things that are going to be against me that um yeah. so I, I i do cover that I, I go into how all the rejections and then how when i got to australia i finally was able to achieve mm. my goal wow yeah and can you talk a little bit about that that journey that 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 journey in yourself to move from the states to Australia and and finding um, more opportunities and different shores there than what you had back in the states? Well, when you get my book, when that finally mm-hmm. comes out, you'll see. Mm-hmm. I was pissed off so many times. Gene said to me, "I said I, I want the associate producer's job, Gene. I've been hanging mm-hmm. out with Mel. I've been hanging out with Melvin Van Peebles. Oh, and- sweet, sweet back." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I had seen story of the three day pass and I walked past and there's this guy sitting out in front of the commissary at Universal in fatigues with boots laced, unlaced uh, on a, with a singlet or undershirt on in the sun. I thought, how improper is that? <laughs> and then I looked again and it was Melvin Bad Peoples and I didn't care. <laughs> I, just, I saw authority at three day pass. So anyhow, hanging with him, I started to see he saw unlimited. He didn't see any barriers. Mm-hmm. I started thinking, well, why not? Why not? Gee, I like post-production. Gene doesn't like them. Associate producer is going to handle it. I can do this. So I asked Gene for the post-production job. And when he came back, the answer was no. And the reason was, because men on the dubbing stage would have to watch their language if there was a woman present. <laughs> wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That wasn't my response, but yes. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know women who can blister paint with what they say. So, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so that it was then again and again. And then the next yeah. thing was women. I thought women, I believe in women, women's movement. And and so the uh, women in film was being organized. And by that time, my, my best friend was Rosalind Heller, who was the first woman to head a studio when she went to Columbia and she became the vice president there. Mm. Um, so 
she said, you got to come and all these women join together. And I, I said to this woman there, God, I'm so glad we can do this together. I said, because as a black woman, I have really, she said, oh, being black doesn't count. It was just the fact that you're a woman. And before I hit her, <laughs> I left. Uh-huh. I started trying to explain to her intersectionality, which I didn't know existed then, because mm-hmm. we didn't have the word. But I try. I was trying to explain to her, and, and more and more she was singing, and she became one of the most powerful women in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I just hope that she mentored some black women sometime. One day I might ask her. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so then I went to work at with the BBS, the uh, Easy Rider people. They were the the, the cool. The because uh, I was hanging out with Jane Fonda in right. the um, the uh, war anti war uh, group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Donald Sullivan had started and it was full of all these actors and things so I was hanging out with them and so I got a job working at BBS on a, on a film, a feature film with, with uh, Jack Nicholson and uh, I was the worst treatment I ever had in my life because I'm mm-hmm. competent, I was capable but I got treated so bad by a guy who kept saying I don't know why you people want to integrate why don't you just buy your own We, that, no. we did. and I got this constantly from him Yeah, and yeah. so and then the woman tells me that I just, I was just gone. Yeah. So I just took off for, uh, with my husband at that time. I married him a week after I, uh, no, I'm sorry. I married him two weeks after Bill Russell and I had gone to the show. See, I can't help it. These people were in my life. And mm. so, so I've gone to this show, this television show with Bill Russell. And he, I met this guy and two weeks later I married him. <laughs> And he got a job working in Hong Kong. So after the child was born, by the way, my daughter was born on Malcolm X's uh, assassination day. The same day, the same date, the same time of day. Wow. She's Malika for Malik, inshallah, God's will. Um, So we took off for Hong Kong and this con was going on. These guys were promising all this money to make films because they wanted, I met them at the, when I was at AFI and, and the, they gave me money and said, we're going to make a film, but they were, they were just a con artist. They were just giving black people money to mix uh, businesses mm-hmm. and taking all the mm-hmm. money back in, in, in terms of, uh, of, of fees for helping them do the thing and then declaring them bankrupt and then writing off the whole thing. So I, I tweaked to what was going on. I was already in Hong Kong. So I said, I'm going to go find myself a project and I'm going to make a film with this money. And so I hit the hippie trail. And after I left Nepal, I went back to Hong Kong. A guy I met in Bali said, come and live with me. So I went to Bali, showing up with him and he lived in Australia. Mm-hmm. And Leslie Uggams had said to me, do not go to Australia. And I said, I'm going to Hong Kong. She said, don't go to Australia. Okay, why? She said, black, white Australia policy. I'm married to an Australian. I can't live there because I'm black. They have a white Australia policy. Well, luckily, wow. by the time I got there, they had gotten rid of that. Mm. And the black people there were rising up and want, demanding their rights. They'd only gotten the vote about 10 years before that. Wow. Mm. So I decided, this is my place. This is where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to make a film about these people. Mm. Because every film about them had been made by someone who was not black. And it right. would be a first black uh, the indigenous, there was one film before me that was by a, a local guy, but mm-hmm. I was the first other person. So I made a film about them 
And uh, I got my producer's credit. Yes. <laughs> and I also awesome. have directing credit, which I never wanted because I was terrified to direct. <laughs> and uh, it won prizes. Oh, wow. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. What was the film so called? What, uh, it's called Chintupakani in the language. It's called Sunrise Time of Awakening. Okay. Wow. Because I was such an idiot and know nothing that I thought, what's this dream time stuff about? Mm. Come on, man. Wake up, wake up. We got to get going. We can't do no dreaming. I didn't understand. Mm. But still, the film, It's in fact, I've gotten recently, I, I had a couple more people ask to use clips from it. So it's sampled. The film is sampled a lot. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Okay. So I think I talked a lot. <laughs> and you've been there for and you've been there for what five decades now australia is that correct yeah just about i've lived in australia long i've lived in america wow wow amazing how often do you get back to the states i used to do it every year but mm. i had been back since covid i canceled wow. that year and they kept my money mm. <laughs> wow mm. <laughs> that stinks <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot um, because I know this is very recent, but I did want to ask you about working with, with Michelle Nichols. And if, if you don't want to talk about that right now, then I, that's, I, I, I understand. But um, just the fact that, that you're here and that you knew her. And now I, I was wondering if, you, if you'd be interested in talking about her or, like I said, if not, that is, that is perfectly fine. You said that we were ex-wives-in-law. Hmm. <laughs> Because her ex-husband and my ex-husband both married Jimmy, the same woman. So right. Michelle said we were ex-wives-in-law. Wow. Um, she's very special to me. Mm. Um, I talk mostly. I, I, I do say mostly the things I had to say about her in the book. I, I guess if I, I don't know, if I would have done anything any different. But she was a role model and a friend. She was a relative, a relative, and she was a strict teacher. Mm. Nichelle wasn't afraid to say what she thought and what she felt. She was a generous, wonderful person who I thought had lousy taste in men. <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, and the happiest thing was when I left, when I moved out of Nichols Canyon, I talked her into moving into the house that I had lived in. Michelle mm. oh. has got to live in Nichols Canyon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she did. But she, she was like, I, my aunt was uh, probably the most famous Black woman songwriter that you've never heard of. Mm. Uh, and she was very, very, very successful, but very little known. And she and Michelle shared the same kind of totally cool butter would not melt. <laughs> she was so cool. Mm. And so Michelle felt like family to me and I could drop by because she didn't live that far away. I could drop by uh, I gave her advice, especially when Ivan was chasing me down and trying to get my knickers off. Uh, mm -hmm. Michelle was was there to to be support. It was like she she'd gone there 
And so she knew what the woods looked like so I wouldn't get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. She said, you, you talked earlier and you were joking about how your legs help you get the job working with Gene Kuhn. And I thought it was funny that Miss um, Nichols had written of, she had written about your legs and she said you had legs that Tina Turner would have envied. <laughs> ah, I, like, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. <laughs> but did you, and then you saw that Bob Justman wrote that same story? Mm. Mm. He did? He wrote the same story? In his book, he writes the same story. Only ah. he says that, that, that they, he doesn't mention my legs. He said that he hired me for Jane Coon. Bullshit. Um, he <laughs> said that, uh, that he heard me answer the phone in a way that, similar to the way I did answer it every now and again, but not exactly. And he said I had a thick cornerbone accent. And, okay, I was born in the South, San Diego. Um, <laughs> It wasn't exactly a cornbone accent, and he accused mm-hmm. me of sleeping with, 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 with a, a basketball player who claimed to have slept with thousands and thousands of women. <laughs> ah, wow, wow, wow! And uh, what she had it right, but he didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't Will Chamberlain. <laughs> I was friends with Bill Russell, mm-hmm. but they're both black and they both play basketball, so I guess he could make. Mix that up. Really. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I, I'm trying to be polite. I'm not about, <laughs> there, you know, he had those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to put up with when you're that person that I was then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you look back? Because um, you're, you're, in a lot of ways, you're looking back and you're looking forward. Do you do you look back and, and go, I can't believe the journey I've had? I mean, because I talk a lot, you know, as a black man, we talk a lot about racism and stuff. And as we know, the world is it's in a bad state right now. And I've had some younger black people talk to me and they'll say, oh, you know, it's awful and this and that. And I'll say, you know, as bad as it is. I grew up in right at civil rights time. And as bad as civil rights was, we had the Civil War. And as bad as the Civil War was, there was a time when Black people couldn't vote and women couldn't vote and gay people couldn't marry. Um, do you look back and see the journey and see that you've you've done well and that things have gotten better for you? And are you positive now still? Well, my feeling is that when we're able to take personal responsibility for our actions and we ask ourselves, who taught me that? And is that mm-hmm. really how things are? That is going to make a big change. And I think Star Trek is important in that place because right. we need to encourage people to go that direction. Right. I, I, I like the new series. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful with that new series um, that we could go return to some of those ideas mm-hmm. because it's an individual thing. And how we, where you put your attention is the response that your brain is going to get where you put your, what you focus on. Right. And so I'm focusing on, we are all, all connected some kind of way, mm-hmm. some place. We may not have the same politics, but we both like dogs. <laughs> we got to build on that. Right. Uh, we, those, that's all I can see is if we can do that, but if mm-hmm. we're going to demonize, if we're going to demonize and lie, I wish America would say, you're not allowed to lie on television. Right. If you're supposedly telling facts that 
I don't know, some, there's got to be some way to stop people telling lies that other people believe because they're in their goodness of their heart. They're trying to protect those children that are being trafficked in the basement of the pizza parlors. Right. Mm. They're doing the best they can. Mm. Yeah. I see what you're so saying. Yeah, we've got to help make access accessible and not condemn those people. I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm, I'm with go. They go low, we go high. I'm not saying that at all. I'm with not cheek. I just think that I am for right. Whoever says it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I am for justice, no matter who it's for. Mm. That's my beliefs, and 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 I will carry that with me always. And, mm. and if I don't stand up for what I believe in, then what the fuck am I good for? <laughs> well said. Yeah. And, and amen. <laughs> <laughs> well said. You, you know, when you say that about finding something that everybody, finding something that you have uh, in accordance, there's an episode of Star Trek, and I uh, I can't remember the name of this. There's an episode of the Star Trek, The Next Generation. And you guys may remember, it's the one where they encountered that group of people who are like nomads, um, the Akamarians or something like that. Someone Riker falls in love with a lady who's been alive for years and she's assassinating people. <laughs> but, but anyway, there's a thing where these two parties that are at odds say they have nothing in common. And Picard gets them to sit down and have, I think, tea or a drink. And they're like, we have nothing in common. And Picard literally says, we've at least agreed that we can sit down to have this tea. Mm-hmm. And we'll start there, as silly as that sounds. Absolutely. Mm. Well, that's what happened to me. After mm-hmm. I made my film, I made another one, and then I just didn't. Uh, it wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I got involved with some people that were com- taught conflict resolution skills. So I went and I did the conflict resolution course. And I noticed my, my second or third one, I came home from school uh, to work, from, hey, I'm home from work, and my daughter had the television on in her bedroom. And I said, you're supposed to be studying. And 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 she said, fine. And she walked up and slammed the door. And I went, now, what did I learn in conflict resolution today? Oh, <laughs> darling, when I come home from work, uh, before I become mother, I would really like to have just a few moments to be me. And she's, oh, fair enough. And I thought, hey, this stuff works. So I became <laughs> I became a conflict resolution trainer. And then I mm-hmm. became a mediator. And as a mediator, I trained hundreds of other mediators. Mm. And that is from Star Trek. That's where I got it from. Because when I heard about mediation back then, only lawyers could be mediators. Mm. And I thought, that's something I'll never be able to do. Mm. But then I found that I could, and I did, and I shared those skills. And that's that's where it's at. It's funny, but my mother and I had had a, if you saw my Ted thing, um, my mother and I had a war. A battle from when I was four and cut off my hair because I hated the way she did my hair. We had a hair war all our life. <laughs> and, and, and so what happened then was I started doing conflict resolution and I thought I got to walk the talk. If I'm going to do this stuff, I can't be talking it and then having arguments and disagreements. So I started mm-hmm. working on my relationship with my mother. It took a couple of years, but one day she said to me, you know, my next door neighbor, I feel sorry for. She'd rather be right than happy. I went, whoa. She said, yes, I'm getting something out of this, too. <laughs> <laughs> I My my daughter is turning 16 next month, so I, I, I need some of that. I, I need to take one of those classes. <laughs> 
it makes a really big difference. And that's where <laughs> I got it from, was from Star Trek. Wow. That's where I heard about mediation and became a mediator. What do you think is the important thing about Star Trek? What do you think its truest legacy is? All these years, almost 60 years down the road, what is the thing that is the most important thing to have come out of that show that it added to or taught society? I think watchability. You can watch it and be entertained. And while you're being entertained, you're also being educated and informed. Mm. I think that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. Mm. That's so true. Um, Balance of Terror still teaches you lessons about racism decades later with the Romulans. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're coming close to our time, but I wanted to ask you too about um, where your, your, your books, the two versions of the book that are coming out or the two books that are coming out, where and when do, you, do we know when, when people will be able to get their hands on them? Um. <clears throat> I'm taking this with me to Las Vegas. Okay, okay. so there'll be some books there. I'm not, it's my first effort. So I'm not satisfied. I, I want to clean up a couple of mistakes and there's a couple of photographs in there that are absolutely horrendous. <laughs> oh God, I'm embarrassed. Anyhow, so I just want to get there, get this. I want to know what you guys think about it. Do we like it? I, and and this and this one is mm. going is at the editor now to go through and to break it up into chapters and to smooth out some of. I didn't have a ghost rider, so it's a really bu- a bumpy ride. Okay, it's, as you can tell. Um, so I'd say next month for for this. Okay, and 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 soon after for the other one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you have some wonderful pictures, by the way, you know, reading up on you and looking at some of the things you've done. There was there was a couple I love this Uncle Leroy with class. And uh, oh, yes, those you are great. Those little former slave kids with their little bare feet. And you, yes. see how many, see how, do you see how many are pale as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the color range in there. You can see that's right. that's. That's why they were really wanted to go and kill off a lot of people because they didn't want people to see what they've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had another one I thought was precious. It was uh, Mia's Wonder Woman. And that's the, that's you on the little pony. I, I just love pictures like that because my folks are from the country too. So I got all those kind of pictures like that. that those, yeah. those are great pictures that take you back. Yeah. I, I loved roller skating. So I have my mm-hmm. you know, it's a picture. Of, it's all the things I love. My family and me. And, and me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. If I like it okay, then then, then I'll... Absolutely. I want to know. Feel free to tell me what you like. (laughs) I love the title, honestly. I love From Slavery to Star Trek because Mm, that that says it all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's definitely an attention-grabbing title. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that was... Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, and and the, and the book, I mean, it lives up to the title. I mean, it's exactly that. It's, you know, that that's that story, and it's incredible. And I loved all the. I keep saying this, but I loved all the anecdotes about all the people that you knew. I I, I told myself I'm not gonna sit here and just ask what every single person who worked at Desi Lou was like because I'll, <laughs> I'll do that the entire show. 
Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It, this has been so great. Where can people find more information about you and about your books? From slavery to Star Trek.com. Okay. Fantastic. Nice and easy. Thank you. It, it has been such a pleasure right. hearing yeah. your stories and chatting with you. Thank and... you for being gentle with me. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I don't want to say you are so bright and cheery. I know it's 10 o'clock in the morning because for us it's uh, 9 o'clock at night or it's 11 o'clock in the morning yeah. for you now. But you just came on with a smile and you were just so bright and cheery. And then I've been working all day. So I'm like, well, I got to up my game because I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, thank you for doing it in a time that I could I could yeah get a least a bit of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely our pleasure. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Hey Joe. Hey Tony. Do you like ads about podcasts? You know it. How about ads about Doctor Who podcasts? Even better. Well, you're in luck because this is an ad about a Doctor Who podcast. Wow, I love it. And you'll love us, The Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast about Doctor Who. I'll buy 12. Actually, it's free. I'll buy 13 then. This week, unfortunately, um, we lost someone who was incredibly important to us all growing up. And, you know, Nichelle Nichols passed and we, we wanted to, to acknowledge that and to say a little about her, uh, before we wrap up this week's episode, man, that's one of those things that, I mean, you, you, you kind of knew that it was coming mm. right. Yeah, just because of her declining health for the past couple of years. And, but it's still just so hard. Mm. You know, when you get the news, it's like, it, it just does not seem real. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm. So, I mean, it, it, she's one of those people that is, I mean, she was not the star of that show. Right. She, there were episodes where she, there's a few that she wasn't in. There were some that she didn't get dialogue, but she is one of the most iconic mm -hmm. characters in all of television, much less science fiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. And there's so much more than Star Trek, you know, right. she, and, and acting wasn't even her first career choice. She fully intended to go into musical theater. Yeah. She expected to be a dancer. She, that, I mean, that was her goal. That was the like eyes on the prize was doing Broadway and doing um, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, she, she toured the country with Duke Ellington and Lionel Hampton and just, I mean, she had this, she had her career laid out. And then, and I remember I just rewatched the documentary uh, woman in motion. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd forgotten the part where she said, you know, she makes the joke that star Trek interrupted her career path. Yeah, <laughs> because her career path was completely different. She moved to L.A. and she met uh, Gene Roddenberry and she got on the lieutenant. Right. And from that went to Star Trek. And oh, man. Yeah. 
I saw pictures of Nichelle Nichols when I was doing just reading up about her online and saw pictures of her in uh, a Broadway or off-Broadway production. She's on stage with Burgess Meredith and wow. Adolf Caesar. Adolf hmm. Caesar um, was famous for being in um, Color Purple, playing um, Danny Glover's father and also in a great movie called The Soldier Story. He, mm-hmm. he was a great actor. Well, it just showed you're right. She was had so many talents outside of just um, the acting that became Star Trek. And I have a story I want to tell about that later, but that's after you guys talk. There's a real quick thing I'll relate about her. Okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, you look at, just talking about the how impactful just Uhura being there was. I mean, you look at every yeah. science fiction TV show before Star Trek versus every science fiction TV show after Star Trek. Mm. You know, I mean, it mm-hmm. was every every show before it, it was almost exclusively white, almost exclusively male. You know, right. And just I mean, just just getting there and being there is was so important and, and what she had to go through to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love that Uhura is being explored more now than she was then. I think it's Absolutely. she was I think we've all agreed she was tragically underused. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the Shell Nichols is one of those people who just she was. You know, I, I just growing up, not only watching Star Trek, but watching interviews about Star Trek every, you know, if there's if there's an appearance of, this, of the, the original series cast, my mom was like, Chuck, Chuck, Star Trek's on TV. You know, I come out and I, and I watch them on whatever commercial or, you know, <laughs> game show or whatever they were on um, just throughout my entire life, you know. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, losing someone like that is just um, I don't know, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit tough, but um you know, I'm I, I'm thrilled that I've just seen such an outpouring of support and about outpouring of of yeah. memories and celebration of her. You know, yeah, Kate Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan and all these other people and and Whoopi, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, and Maya Jameson, the first yeah. black uh, female astronaut in America who was inspired right. by her. Yeah, the, right. the president made a statement. You know, there was a a, a statement from the office of the president. About oh, I didn't see that. Was, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, uh, talking about her musical career, I just want to point out that uh, she recorded two albums and they're both mm-hmm. available on Spotify. If anybody's interested in going okay. to hear them, the first one was called Down to Earth and it was recorded in 1967. Mm. And it's um, it's mostly like American standards and it is phenomenal. Wow. Like her singing is just incredible. The song arrangements are really well done, and it's just fantastic. The other one is called Out of This World, and it was uh, 1991. Not as good, Mm. but it's uh, material that was written for her, and it's incredibly cheesy production. Um, She sounds fine, but uh, the the songwriting and the production is very, very much of its time. Mm. In fact, it might be a little after it's time because it sounds like the worst examples of 80s production that you can imagine <laughs> oh no is that but the one that has beyond antares on it it is yes okay ah okay yeah and some of it it just sounds like like it's 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 an interesting listen let's just say that but go and listen to down to earth her first album from 67 holy moses it's so good and of course, we got to hear her sing a couple of times on the original series. Exactly. Char- exactly. Charlie's our new Dolly, inter- interstellar astronaut, Where My Heart Is. <laughs> I, I right. remember all of those songs. I especially like the one where she was singing and Riley was getting poisoned. I mean, it's just, yep. it's kind of wild. Yeah. 
There is a, a real quick, real, real quick story I want to tell about Nichelle Nichols that some people may know. I don't know, Veronica, you definitely would remember. But in the late 60s into the mid-70s was an incredibly popular television series called Mannix. And it was a TV detective. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. Started I was going to say, there was this popular TV show called Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek, right. It was I'm, called I'm, Mannix. I'm familiar with Mannix. Yeah, oh, yeah totally. Yeah, and it starred a, a guy named Mike Connors, and it starred uh, a Black actress named Gail Fisher. Now, what a lot of people probably don't know is that Mannix was being put together and produced around the same time Star Trek was. And the role of Peggy, Fish, of, uh, Peggy, the character played by Gail Fisher, who was Mannix's office assistant, office manager, was offered to Nichelle Nichols. Mm. And it was written with her in mind. Wow. And at the same time, she and we also know she was dating Gene Roddenberry in real life. Gene Roddenberry had offered her Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And she was torn between these two roles. And she went to Gene and talked to Gene. And Gene's like, look, it's a detective show. There are a dime a dozen. Um, it'll never last. It's not that big of a deal. I'm offering you something much more special. Hmm. So she said, okay. So she ended up doing Star Trek. And Gene said, yeah, that show will never last. Well, Star Trek was canceled after three seasons. Mannix went on for eight seasons yeah in addition to that gail fisher won an emmy and became the first black woman in history to win an emmy and she won two golden gold awards oh wow, wow. yeah wow for the role that was offered to nichelle nichols which she turned down for star trek wow. now obviously in time i talked to a lot of my black friends and relatives and even black people don't remember the name of gail fisher or even yeah. michelle mannix or the historical importance that gail fisher played Everybody yeah. knows Uhura. Right, right. As you guys are saying, she was never utilized on that show. If you ever watch the Corbomite maneuver, watch Nichelle Nichols. You can tell by the end, she's really bored and she's sick of it. She's going, hailing frequencies open. And by the end, she's bored. You can mm -hmm. see it on screen. And I've always wondered those few years, those, those years, that almost decade before Star Trek became a really popular thing, as you were saying earlier, Alan, what was it like for her to watch Gail Fisher? Go yeah. on to for eight years wow. on a show where she was only on for three years. There right. was no guarantee Star Trek would ever come back. She yeah. watches Gail Fisher win an Emmy. Now, of course, Nichelle Nichols is an icon. And I just always think about the perseverance and the class mm. that she made a way for herself. And she became an ambassador for NASA and she spoke at schools and she was so um, much of, a, of an inspiration to women. Mm. And I know for those three years, she was probably thinking, I made a horrible mistake. Of I made a horrible mistake. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing about that is that she talks about the way that Jean pitched the role to her. I've got this mm -hmm. really special thing that I'm that mm -hmm. I've got in mind for you. And mm -hmm. it's this show. And she would she said you would get scripts and mm -hmm. you would read this script and it would be such a great script and it would have so much of your character in it. And then you would get the first revision and your part is reduced. And then mm -hmm. you get the next revision and mm -hmm. it's reduced more. So yeah. this whole thing, she took that show because of the promise of what this right. character was supposed to be. And it frequently started out that way. But, you know, as yeah. paper continues to be milled on that show, it gets reduced and, and lessened. And she it's a it's a tragedy it's a shame yeah. yeah yeah and i just think it's such an inspiration that during those years which a lot of people now forget there were from when star trek was canceled to when they first did the first movie there was no guarantee star trek is ever coming back right there was no there was no guarantee she would ever have a career like that yeah and so i've just admired the fact that she made a life for herself and started working with nasa and all that kind of stuff because she could oh, yeah 
during that time to say, man, I just, I just missed the opportunity. Gail Fisher just got an, an Emmy yeah. and I'm saying hailing frequencies open. All the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to encourage listeners, uh, especially uh, folks have like come on to like found our show since we've done this. I, I, I want to encourage people to go back and listen to the episode that we did reviewing the documentary woman in motion yes. about Nichelle's um, participation in NASA's recruiting program. I think that's one of the best episodes we ever did. Mm. And I don't think it's anything to do with us being great on that particular episode. <laughs> I think it's that the subject matter yeah. was so important and so inspirational. Mm. And it's talking about this incredible woman and the work that she did to bring more women and more persons of color into NASA. Right. And yeah. she, here she is living like in her personal life, like she put her career on hold because NASA said, we need your help. Yeah. And it was something that she felt was important to do. And so she's out living her life in a way that exemplifies everything that Star Trek stood for. Mm. Absolutely. Sometimes in a way it sucks, but in a way it's a good thing because sometimes the first black, the first woman, the first gay, the first Muslim, the first transgender person, sometimes they're just kind of a symbol. Yeah. But that symbol is important. And then yeah. others build on that. And so right. I, I get yeah. what you're saying. I think that's great. And I think that her, her being a symbol is fantastic. As, as ML King told her, you just you being on the bridge, yep. whether you got a line to speak or not. <laughs> was more important than yeah. you really you understood that's and so that's true yeah. and that's got to be so hard yeah yeah and did you look at where we are now with star trek and yeah i mean she was the black woman on star trek for so long mm -hmm. and now you look at star trek now and and they're on every show you know they're, they're it, yeah you know, you the well stars two of, of the shows, shows right two yeah. of the mm -hmm. shows have the lead character is a black woman yeah 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 uh and that's great absolutely and, yeah and you know what's uh my last comment is i didn't even think about it the way you guys said that but isn't it amazing she lived to see that before she yeah. died yes yeah. yes exactly exactly it's like a full circle kind yeah. of moment it's like it's like a, a prophecy fulfilled yeah. mm -hmm. so wow michelle nichols yeah. god what an what an amazing life she had absolutely, absolutely. all right alan where can people find more of you um, I've got this other podcast that I do called Modern Musicology, and I have my little publishing company called Cosmic Press. You can find it at kozmicpress.com. And how about you, Keith? The standard social media platforms nowadays, primarily Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. <laughs> and do you have a closing for us this week? She's either thinking about it or she's doing that or she's doing that. I'm not telling. <laughs> Hailing frequency. Hold on. Hold on. Hold gotcha. on. Okay. <clears throat> Hailing frequencies open, Captain. See, it's harder than it looks. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tongue twister. Do it three times fast. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time.
live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.